Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is also sponsored in part by Uconnects. Uconnects provides managed services in the programmatic space for brands and agencies across the U.S. and internationally. It uniquely provides true transparency in the programmatic space by sharing how much of each campaign actually goes to publishers, platform, and how much is profit. If you are looking to better understand true working dollars or are just looking for an audit of your existing digital partnerships, visit them at uconnects.com. That's Y-O-U-C-O-N-N-E-X.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org. And don't forget to visit Marketing Cast to catch any previous seasons you might have missed of the CMO Suite or to check out other amazing podcasts in the industry. Once again, that's marketingcasts.com. Now, let's start the show. You're in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You are listening to the CMO Suite. This is your host, Sean Halter. As a reminder, the CMO Suite is presented in part by Bid for Media, Biddable Media for the masses. We are knee deep in season six. We're excited to have just a nice varied lineup of guests. And my next guest is Zach Litwack. Zach is an entrepreneur, it seems like at heart. You've got your hands tied in lots of different things, but one of your main jobs right now is as a partner in Savage Ventures. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. Now, as I was looking back through your background a little bit, it seems like you've had a lot of experience in, in audio itself. And that's also you know another one of the positions in some ways that you have as the CMO for American Songwriter. So how did you kind of jump into this business? Have you always lived in Nashville? And was it the fact that that's just such a, a music capital of the world that kind of got you involved? Yeah, I went to MTSU, which is a little south of Nashville for college and studied music production. I was actually, I've always been an entrepreneur, as you mentioned earlier, never had a day job, never wore a suit to go to work. And my, I think my parents realized that early on when I tried to start companies in high school, like, like a lot of people my age in their mid thirties, I had an eBay company back in high schools trying to buy and sell guitars for profit. And I remember one summer I made a couple hundred bucks and thought uh, I didn't need my parents anymore. That was a fun wake up call when I went off to college and I had to call them repeatedly for beer money. That's what brought me to Nashville. And, and for the first six or seven years of my life, I was an entrepreneur in the music industry, produced some records, didn't make a lot of money for about six years, You know, maxed out some credit cards, living the entrepreneur's dream, I guess. And in 2013, we had some success, finally produced a couple of hit records, sold that company to my business partner because we had a big falling out. And then since then, I've been what I would call a full-time digital marketer, growth hacker, now CMO of a bunch of different companies via Savage Ventures. So yeah, it was an evolution from like full-time music industry into marketing and startups and 
And so I split my career in between the two passions, I guess you could say. It is one of the beauties of marketing is the fact that it is so wide, it is so varied that you can start kind of in one place and really kind of navigate to wherever your comfort level really is. Kind of from there, you talked a little bit about just having a you know an entrepreneur spirit at a young age and kind of starting a few different companies. As I was talking to one of my best friends this morning, just catching up with him and how are your kids doing and all that. He's saying, oh, my son's getting ready to graduate from college. He started an IT company. They've got a bunch of people that are doing you know back-end development out of Pakistan. And they're, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Shit, when I was a kid, I was like trying to find a fake ID so I could, so I could buy that beer. Um, <laughs> but I was a late stage entrepreneur. I didn't start my entrepreneurship really until I was in my 40s. I, you know, I sold media for, for many of those years, kind of uplating into that. But uh, you know, one of the interesting things I think that you just talked about was the fact that you've kind of tried lots of different things, but they're all kind of interrelated in some ways to either audio or, or, or music, um, et cetera. And so what did your parents do growing up? Were they, were they in that industry? What did, your, what did your mom and dad do? My dad says he worked for the man. They both worked for big corporations, middle management jobs their whole life. And so they, they were hard workers though. You know, they were the first generation to come out of the lower middle class in, in either family. So I grew up in a pretty comfortable upper middle class family, thanks to their hard work. Uh, and I think that's what partly made them kind of embrace my entrepreneurial spirit because they didn't really like working for quote unquote the man and working long hours and not having ownership in anything that they were working on. And so I don't know if that's why I gravitated away from it, like subconsciously early on or not, but it, it definitely was in deep inside of me, you know, growing up, I never wanted to have that stereotypical job. And I guess at my core, I'm not very stereotypical. Yeah. You know, this last couple of seasons of this show, we're, we're actually going to have our hundredth episode uh, within the season. But one of the interesting things that I've kind of taken away really over that last couple of years is, is that COVID element has pushed a lot of different people that I know, whether they're CMOs or VPs of marketing or, you know, wherever they fit kind of up and down that stack. There's a lot of them that decided, you know what, let me take this as almost a pause, a breath of opportunity, maybe a chance to take a little bit of a risk. It's going to be a little weird the next year or two anyway, so let me try something new. So I think that level of entrepreneurship will probably, I don't want to say only continue to grow because obviously entrepreneurship has been something that's been there since the dawn of time, but it seems like for maybe perhaps some more seasoned marketers, this has been a chance for them to kind of maybe start dipping their toe in as well and think maybe I can do this. And at the worst case scenario, if I can't, I can always go back. But you never really went back, correct? You've always kind of done your own thing. Yeah, yeah, I have. In, in the music industry, you know, so I was in the music industry for about seven years and I would call it growth hacking, digital marketing, trying to do startups. Most 99% of them have failed up to this point. I was doing a little bit of marketing. And you know what happened, Sean, is I would produce these records and I thought they were great. And then nothing would happen to them. And I'm like, well, shit, let's figure out how to take these to market. Yeah. And that's when I was starting to scratch my marketing itch. I remember, for example, back in probably like 2010, 2011, running some paid search ads. That's really all Google had at the time. And I remember launching my first Facebook ad for one of my artists when there was just right rail ads. So that was probably around the same time. But I never did it full time, but it, it became a part of kind of my normal workflow. The SEO game back then it was was really getting into, into the big music blogs. There were these 10 to 15 indie music blogs that everybody went to, and then MySpace happened. And then so... I was at this interesting turning point where it was actually a very interesting like marketing ecosystem for music and all of it was starting to navigate digital, obviously. And so I learned that early on. And then when I sold my music company, I sat on the couch for three months. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And my friend out of Atlanta actually called me and said, hey, 
I need some help growing my tech startup. It was a startup called Split out of Atlanta. We sold technology to restaurants. It was an app, user app, and it connected with their point of sale. And it failed, it failed miserably, but that got me into startups. Atlanta's a hot market though. You know, it, 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 it would have been great if it had not failed miserably at the same time. That's, it's a, it's a little hotbed for, for tech. Uh, I don't want to say kind of surprisingly, but it, yeah, it seems to be. fintech. Fintech yeah. especially. So like we were, I guess, essentially a fintech company. I mean, you were transacting in our app. Um, but yeah, it failed miserably. Long story short, we went way too hard on user acquisition before we had the B2B stuff figured out because we were having to sell restaurants and sell users, obviously, and using the app at the restaurants. It's a catch-22 sometimes when you're when you're out there, again, I think that's something that a lot of VPs or CMOs or really anybody in marketing as they start to kind of dip into tech, our, our holding group is no different. As we've dipped into tech, you got to have both sides and it's, it's kind of funny, but it is odd. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the buyers without the sellers. You can't get the sellers without the buyers. And how do you bring them all to the table in essence? At the same time, it's a little tricky. Yeah, it's much more complicated. It's essentially two different marketing programs in my mind. I mean, obviously they have to connect, but that's primarily, I think, why I'm just doing B2C or, or just you know user acquisition companies now, whether it's media properties or direct-to-consumer healthcare, uh, just because it's a lot easier and your sample size is usually a lot larger too, especially when you don't have to deal with the, with the B2B stuff. Uh, talk about your time. Again, you were talking about the fact that you've, you've then kind of been almost a, a CMO at large. You've helped a lot of different kind of companies. Talk to me about the My Dr. Hank project that you're working on right now. Yeah, it's a direct, that's our direct consumer healthcare brand. And just to give you a quick like overview of Savage Ventures, because it's kind of complicated, we're a, a hybrid VC. Um, it's all our money, our personal money, but we, we go in and invest in companies and operate these companies. Usually we're acquiring companies in the case of Dr. Hank, though, we actually started this company. We don't do a lot of that. It was interesting because we started Savage Ventures right before COVID. We had no idea COVID was going to hit. This Dr. Hank was a company that my now business partner and I started kind of as a side hustle back in 2018. So going back to that entrepreneurial itch, and if you have some digital marketing chops, and I think this is partly why a lot of marketers probably left corporate America and started doing their own thing during COVID, because if you've got a decent offer, and you have digital marketing shops, you can start a business super quickly. And so there we were back in 2018, threw up a landing page, you know, set up my my conversion points and ran some Facebook ads against this offer. And at the time, what we were offering was erectile dysfunction medication for seniors across the nation. We had a licensed pharmacy here in Nashville that could fill most of the states. And basically in 2018, Viagra and Cialis trademarks went went up and we were able to sell the same drugs essentially for a fraction of the price. So we hit that market and that company kind of grew organically as a side hustle over the last three years. And now it's a pretty formidable startup, you know, doing millions of dollars in uh, ARR. Now we offer that core like erectile dysfunction product line, but we're starting to offer other drugs around sex. So like premature ejaculation medicine and, and um, we're even going to uh, come out uh, with something for the girls. And so, yeah, it's a super interesting company that's really been built on just technical digital marketing, you know, SEO and Facebook would be our two biggest channels there. And it is the leveling of the playing field. I was talking to a CPG brand kind of earlier in the day today. And again, with everything that's happening with shipped and shoppers, not even really going into grocery stores at the same capacity that they used to being in that middle part of the shelf is, you know, it, your barrier to entry is a lot lower. Now you add in Amazon in there as well as other ways to be able to talk to a consumer directly. And you've got brands that again are building to your point, a, a decent amount of revenue before they've even go to a grocery 
grocery store. That the barrier of entry is so much lower now. You don't necessarily have to have a massive, massive brand to be able to talk, obviously, directly to consumers. And you guys have, you know, you've perfected that a little bit. And I do think as marketers, even at a higher experience level than you know somebody who's new into marketing, as they begin to really understand that's how you reach consumers these days. I think they can take some of their technical experience as well as just some of their general knowledge and really build out some really interesting brands out there, which again is something that you guys have, have kind of seemed to do along the way. So talk a bit about OutKick. So OutKick was something, and I think you had said that maybe, or I saw on your profile that it was sold to Fox. And so talk about uh, that as well, because that seemed like that was something fairly new that you guys had kind of built out. Yeah, it's a great story. We launched the brand in June of 2020 last year, and we sold it to Fox in June of 2021, three days. So it was 360, I think, one days later, so less than a year. It was a, it's those stories you hear about where startups grow exponentially, like super fast. A couple of factors there. One thing we've realized we're really good at, because Savage Ventures at its core is definitely full of like growth hackers and digital marketers and developers, and we're very technical. Like if you talk, start talking to me about offline stuff, I'm like, huh? You know, and I've never really done that either. Although for TFM, one of our brands, we have social chairs is what we call them, where we've got boots on the ground in some colleges promoting some of our products. But outside of that, I have no offline experience. And with OutKick, we had, we, we did, it was a joint venture actually, which is abnormal for us with this guy named Clay Travis, who's a big sports, um, just general like politics uh, journalist and got to start in SEC sports, but he had a national radio show on Fox Sports and he had this blog called Outkick Coverage, which was the name of his morning radio show. So he had a built-in audience of a few million people. I think the website was doing about a million sessions per month when we joint ventured with him. So we took his existing audience and were able to scale the audience super quickly and then figure out monetization paths super quickly. Like our main monetization lever that we pulled to this audience was sports betting affiliate marketing revenue. Yeah. And so we partnered with FanDuel last year. I don't know if you're familiar with the space, but three or four states legalized it yep. during last football season. And we were able to use our digital marketing expertise to use our existing audience and get them to essentially start betting on FanDuel's platform. But we were able to, to go to Facebook, especially, and build out a massive paid media funnel around the offers, experimented and experimented and experimented, and it all culminated into a Super Bowl offer, which was our best offer of the year, where I had this basically massive Facebook funnel that I was able to basically clean out, like convert everyone from top of funnel down to the bottom of the funnel on Facebook. And we ended up having million dollar weeks and in, in one case, a million dollar day in profit. So Fox's, one of Fox's main initiatives is actually sports betting. And because of the more conservative leaning um, tone of all the content on Outkick, whether it's sports or pop culture or whatnot, um, it was a great fit for them to come in and purchase it. You talk a lot about uh, Facebook, and obviously we know there's some changes taking place with both Apple and Google uh, and third-party tracking. And so how do you think that may impact some of what you guys are doing out there, as you guys have been out there, in essence, growth hacking, uh, as you know, as the terminology uh, may be, to figure out where that growth comes from. Facebook seems to have been a great opportunity for a lot of companies to be able to kind of circumvent offline marketing or other forms of marketing and just kind of really go direct to consumer. And no better way to say it than that. So, what impact will some of those changes you think have? Uh, on the industry as well as maybe some of what you guys are doing out there. Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, your CPCs are going to go up a little bit. But from my experience, and I've spent millions of dollars in, in, on YouTube ads and Google ads, like we've done a little bit of everything, or I've done a little bit of everything over the last decade or so. But the algorithm is just so sophisticated. Even if we're missing some off-platform data now, it's still far better than any other op option that we've got. 
And it sure it depends a little bit on your offer. And and if you're if you're selling products, like if you're a B two B company, it probably makes sense to be more diversified. But if you're if you're selling you know an e commerce offer or something like that, and you need fifty cent cost per click, and you need an algorithm that will kind of learn for you, like you can set a broader audience and just say, hey, Facebook, go find me purchases. And of course, you have to have a good offer. Facebook's still our number one choice whenever we go to test something initially. I mean, obviously, we'll go to our actual like warm audience. We'll email, you know. We'll we'll and even if we take a new offer out to Facebook, we'll go to like remarketing audiences, like website visitors, and even page engagement. I think the only only thing that I mean, we've seen CPC CPCs rise a little bit since I was fourteen. We've seen CPMs rise a little bit, but those are starting to stabilize. And so, where we're sitting now, a couple months after the fact, and now that the dust has settled since the iOS fourteen. Uh, I would call it kind of debacle is we're probably about 20 to 30% more expensive on Facebook now, but for our better offers, it doesn't really matter because our ROAS was, you know, a three or four and now it's a 2.5 or three and that's still super profitable for us. But it does, it is scary. Like we need to get more diversified in a lot of circumstances. And, and um, what's interesting, uh, interesting learning for me, especially working in digital media for the first time is you can, the, the organic reach on these social platforms, even though it's nothing like it was, you know, five or six years ago, is still great. Like if you ha- put out the right content, engaging content, Facebook's organic algorithm will still reward you because they want people to stay on the platform. We have posts for a lot of our media brands that reach millions of people organically, just a Facebook post. It is that engagement piece though that I think brands miss sometimes. They think a nice picture on Instagram with a very you know, small headline of some sort is going to, is, is going to create engagement. And it's, it's not that, you know, I think a lot of the conversations I'm having with some of the people that we've had on the show are, are really just wrapped around the fact that you, you have to create some emotional level with your content. If you're not pausing, if you're not looking, if you're not feeling some level of emotion, whether it's happiness because you agree with it or sadness because it's something sad or something you completely disagree with, if it's just vanilla, it's not going anywhere because you're not creating the incentive for somebody to say, I have an opinion about this. And so how does that or split testing kind of impact what you guys are doing out there uh, as well, since that seems to be really the space you guys are spending a lot of your time in? Yeah, you have to strike a chord is what I tell my marketers to use the music you know, analogy with your content. If I strike a chord, I mean, there has to be, to your point, some sort of emotional response as people are scrolling through these feeds or reading your stories or whatnot. Well, I, I guess I could just dive into like our system for growing companies. Pretty basic system i call it high tempo testing and basically we're taking a silicon valley will you say that one more time what do you call it high tempo testing high tempo testing okay or high tempo experimentation where basically we're running as many high quality experiments against an offer we're trying to sell um we're running as many high quality experiments every week for an offer that we're trying to sell and um, whether that's you know this shirt or this membership or this sports betting you know product whatever the case is, and it's different for every company or for Dr. Hank, it's the, these, these drugs or in services around, around the drugs. Um, we take, yeah, so it's called high tempo testing. And basically what I did is, and I kind of stole this from Sean Ellis and a couple of other Silicon Valley, you know, early marketers, like the guys that grew Dropbox and Uber and stuff, but, and then kind of like molded it into my own thing. But basically it's taking what Silicon Valley developers do in what they call sprints, which is basically like, here's the feature they're working on. And then here's what I need to do that week for to get to that that feature launch, right? And then they have their five developers and that's what they're working on 
all week. And that's it. That's all they're, that's what they're focused on. They do nothing but code for that one feature for that product during that week cycle. And then they meet at the end of the week, they discuss how far they came, like what they learned, what roadblocks did they hit, and they analyze their results, right? And then they, they, they say, how can we get better? What should we do more of? What, what we should what we should kill, you know, and then they move on to the next week and do it all over again. So I've taken that methodology to marketing, to digital marketing specifically, but really any marketing community experiment, like we're running that one offline experiment that I mentioned earlier about having boots on the ground at colleges for one of our brands, DFM, to sell some of our products. But so I took the same approach and I set up a Kanban board in Asana and all of our ideas are loaded up, you know, on the far left side of the board. And then uh, the best ideas are in the next column, which is nominated. So think, feel like, think of a Trello board, then you've got up next, which are the experiments that we're running that week. And that's literally all the marketers for that particular company or product are working on that week. And they all have owners, so project managers for the experiments. And an experiment can be as large as like, we're testing this brand new product to down to we are a B testing this landing page, right? So there's some larger experiments and smaller experiments, but that's how we formulate things. And then we run the experiments, we analyze them, we mark whether they worked or didn't work. And then we move those to a learnings database, which is a, another Asana project that houses learnings and then eventually standard operating procedures around a product that we end up scaling. You know, I'm smiling a little bit, uh, Zach, and you, obviously if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see that, but I'm smiling simply because some of the terminology that you're actually using is terminology that I only understand now, uh, really within the last year. So sprints, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old, I'm 51, my club age is 46. I have no idea how old you are. Still young, you got all your hair, all that stuff, I fucking hate you. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, I came to a point in my life and I feel like a lot of marketers get to this point, especially if they've got some, some you know, uh, time in the business, you can either jump out, right? Because you've just burned out or you feel like I've learned everything I can kind of learn in the space that I'm in, or you can keep pushing yourself. And so, you know, about a year and a half ago, just before COVID, you know, we, we decided we were going to build something in the SaaS space because we almost got bought out. Ultimately, they decided not to because they didn't want to buy the things we had. They were only investing in SaaS, but things like Asana, uh, you know, I, I was never in Asana. Uh, in the position I'm in, maybe some of my teams might have been, but I was never in there. I didn't know what a sprint was, you know. And so the first time we go to kind of build out this piece of software, I'm used to building websites, not software. And they're like, "Well, we only work in sprints." And I'm like, "Yeah, but when will this be done?" They're like, "Well, we only work in sprints." And so what was the funniest thing to me, or maybe what 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 senior level marketers can kind of take away from from some of this is the fact is that these developers, they don't care. They don't listen in the same way that maybe some of your other employees do where you say, well, this is how we're doing it. And your other employees go, okay, I guess that's the way we're doing it. These developers don't care. They're like, no, no, no. This is the way we're doing it. So if you want to do it with us, this is how it's done. And so it is an education. It is an opportunity to learn that maybe the way we've been doing it offline to some extent or this other way, it's just not the language that they speak. So, you know, you can't come in saying we're all going to speak English here if they all speak Russian. You're going to have to learn Russian. So I'm only smiling because a lot of what you've just said is stuff where I go, I know what that is now. No, I know what that is, you know? Um, And so that's interesting. Do you feel like you're teaching more executives that along the way, or it's kind of like, hey, either get on the train that we're on, um, or or get the hell out of the way. Yeah, it's our standard of performance is is what I call it, and I stole that from Bill Walsh. I don't know if you're familiar with the old Forty ers coach, but uh, and his his book is one of my favorite leadership books. Uh, the score takes care of itself, and that's what this standard of performance or high tempo testing does. You're you, sure you have a goal to grow revenue here. But we know if we run these high quality experiments and we continually get better over and over again, like every weekly sprint, then we're going to reach the goal. Like the goal is 
doesn't even matter really, because we know if we do these things, this gives us the best chance to reach the goal. So we're not worried about the score necessarily. We're really drilled into the individual experiments. I think similar to what you just said about the developer or even the development team saying, no, we work in sprints. Like we can tell you what we're doing this weekly sprint, but we can't tell you when the product's going to be ready or when, when, when we're going to, when we're going to have this feature ready. Right. Because you've been in that space for so long, Zach, do you realize, or do you find yourself sometimes talking to somebody who has no idea what the hell you're saying that that is confused by the fact of why can't they just give me a date? Uh, and how do you address that? Is it just helping to educate them a little bit over time? Is it doing conversations like this with hopefully, you know, where marketers are kind of listening to this and they're going, what's a sauna? And then they're Googling that or they're kind of going, oh, I've heard of Sprint or I've heard of Django or I've heard of, you know, some of this stuff, but I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I've probably got more new terms crammed into my brain in the last year and a half than I probably had the four years before that. Yeah, it's, is your audience mostly what I would call like traditional executives, like CMOs. Is, yeah, you know, yeah, we do have some young marketers that listen to yeah. it, you know, because they want to kind of see what's happening from the people kind of up above or above them. But a lot of it's VPs in marketing, it's CMOs, it's you know, it's the it's those people that have global presence or sometimes down to a, you know a smaller presence. But we always try to mix in each season with with some other kinds of people in there because we all we all need to learn too, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if I were a CMO in a very large company, this would some this would be something I would install at on every marketing team. And I it de- it depends on the company and, and other factors, but. I would definitely encourage them to install some sort of high tempo testing or some sort of standard of performance around running marketing experimentation for individual product teams or maybe even product lines. It depends on how you're structured. But yeah, totally. I mean, all, all your all your digital or like technical marketers should totally be doing this. And I think this could even work on the sales front too. Like you treat your CRM more so like like your sales uh, force much more like with an experimentation mindset. Let's email this vertical like a hundred times using this subject line versus this subject line. I mean, there's just, whenever you experiment and you're testing something against itself, you learn something and thus you improve a little bit over time, but those little improvements compound over time. And um, yeah, and and for for the executives maybe that have haven't been in the trenches in a while or have done more strategy and management for the last 10 or 15 years, I'd say read Sean Ellis's book, Hacking Growth. And I think that'll be pretty enlightening as to how these Silicon Valley unicorns are really being grown, or in the case of us, how we grow OutKick from zero to 100 million in 12 months. It's, it's how we grow companies super quickly from the ground up. And even if it's at the individual product level, I bet you if you installed something like this, you'd see some crazy results in the first six, 12 months where your linear growth curve is now more exponential in nature. Yeah, you talk about just the growth piece itself. And again, a a lot of marketers are focused on sales, which is an important part of obviously uh, anything that's out there. And they feel like they're testing creative and other elements of it. But to your point, that internal testing, if you are really doing actual testing, you can't fail because through every experiment, you learn something. And you're, again, headed more into whatever the direction uh, it's going to take you. And eventually you'll succeed at whatever the experiment tells you the success is. Talk a little bit about what's next for you guys as we start to wrap uh, this uh, episode of the show. Again, we're with Zach uh, Litwick, yeah. uh, Savage, Savage Ventures. What's next for you? What do you feel like is, is coming next for you, Zach? After we sold OutKick and we're still operating OutKick and trying to develop a good relationship with Fox and there could be some more collaboration Fox and our company does. What's the interesting dynamic that's, that's kind of being embraced right now as we learn is we're able to move really fast and, and to use the Facebook term, Mark Zuckerberg's old term, like break things and 
ex do hydropotassium experiment. They're, you know, they're, for a large company, they're at, they can actually move pretty fast, but they're still very bureaucratic. They have steering committees that have to meet you about everything. So uh, we offer them a way to, to continue to grow outbreak in a much more quick manner, which is nice. So it's been a good relationship so far. Uh, outside of that, we're really focused on our other companies. As we got closer and closer to the optic sale, that diverted a ton of resources. And there's some there was some cleaning up and kind of re-strategizing and like uh, installing the standard of performance, right? High to protesting in some of our other companies. It kind of fallen to the wayside for and I think that was the right choice. It's just I've been more focused on American Songwriter and Total Frat Move and my Dr. Hank for the past two months than I had been probably the previous six months. And we're we're always looking at deals. You know, our sweet spot is if a company has some product market fit, uh, that means different things to different people and different companies. But basically, if you've got some product that people obviously want, you know, you're, you've got at least a few million dollars in sales. Um, and there's a online component to this growth, to your growth story, you think, then you certainly talk to us. We probably partner with you. I'm looking for good marketers, young and old. I'll, I'll be hiring to the day I die is what I realized, like, because to, to scale the way I want it to, I need to A, clone myself a bunch so that people like me can install this at all of our different companies. Because we're in a unique circumstance where Savage Ventures has a lot of employees and it's a shared services model across our portfolio. Yep. So all the creative people live at the Savage Ventures level, marketers, developers. And so it's, we, it's it keeps us really efficient. We can allocate a bunch of resources, allocate resources as needed. And it, that keeps us super efficient, but it also gives young marketers the opportunity to get their hands in a lot of different things like media, SaaS, healthcare, you know, sports, like little, little music, everything. Yeah. We've got it. That was one of the beauties of us kind of splitting out and, and building up our group as a holding group is the same way. You can kind of share some resources there. It keeps everybody at least interested. And if at some point they get bored with something, you can kind of move them around a little bit. Well, listen, Zach, I really greatly appreciate you joining us on this episode of the show. I always learn something uh, from podcasts. And I'm going to I'm gonna steal a couple of things that you said and make sure that we're utilizing that in the SaaS uh, company that we're building up. Because again, it's it's Greek uh, to me. I've got great teams that are building it up. But I got to tell you, man, the, the amount of new terms that have been packed into my head over the last uh, year and a half or two years, it's tricky. I'm an old dude. I had a lot of alcohol over the years. And so uh, <laughs> I don't know that I've got all the, all the brain cells there. But it's also exciting. You know, it's you can sometimes as, a, as an older marketer, you can get a little bit bored with the industry. And so this is kind of what's keeping me really uh, interested and focused outside of the podcasting. So listen, Zach uh, Litwack, partner at Savage Ventures, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the CMO Suite. Thanks, John. Thanks for hanging out in the CMO Suite. The podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You're a C-level manager. You shouldn't have to know the difference between behavioral or contextual targeting. But your agency should. UConnex provides brands and biddable teams direct access to platforms like the Trade Desk, Google, Amazon, Facebook, OTT, and more. Their U.S.-based traders can train your in-house team or provide complete transparency with no minimums and CPM-based service pricing for true transparency, something Mighty Hive, the Trade Desk, and Centro simply don't offer. Tired of being the smartest one in the room? Reach out to UConnects today for a free demo. UConnects, the world's leader in true, transparent, biddable media. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, 
No boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org.